Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. got a Bible, would you open it to 1 Corinthians 12? We're talking in the month of February about service and how as we follow Jesus, we're invited to serve like Jesus. And so we talked about having the attitude of a servant. Uh, We talked last week about uh, stewardship and how God's given us uh, gifts to steward. And for the last two weeks in February, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Because it's important to us that we talk about the gifts of the Spirit in the context of service. Because God's given the gifts to serve the church, to build up and edify the church. And it's important that we keep the gifts of the Spirit in that context. Because there's times where I think people... um, where we can quickly become confused about the gifts of the Spirit. We think that it's about us finding our calling. Our identity gets wrapped up in the way that God uses us. We quickly forget that God's given gifts to the people in the church to serve the church to edify and build up the church. So it's really, I think, really important and cool that we talk about the gifts of the Spirit in the context of service. Because that's where they're designed to do. Everyone clear? Agreed? Uh, so God's given these gifts to empower us to serve His church. Um, He's not given us gifts so that we can be served. He's given us gifts so that we can serve. I know that what maybe we see again on probably Christian television is that those that are gifted are served. But the truth of Scripture is that those that are gifted serve. Before we we talk about the gifts... There's, there's lists of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. But before we talk about the gifts listed in those passages, we have to settle the question, are the gifts for today? And more importantly, are the miraculous gifts, are the revelatory gifts listed in Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, are they for us today? Are they a part of church life today? And I think it's important to answer this question before we just hop in and start talking about these gifts. Should we be experiencing them together today? Um, you, You probably all know, if you've got any experience with church, you understand that there's two camps. There's there's more than two camps. Um, But there are those that believe that the gifts the revelatory, miraculous gifts continue and are in operation today. And there are those that believe that those were for the early church in order to help found the early church. So there's two different camps. And this debate 
um, is, um, well, it's just a really hotly debated subject. And uh, I read a few, um, a few different stances, a few different position papers this week, and it was interesting to read what other people believe. We obviously, um, I can share this in the beginning, we as a church have a charismatic view. And I want to start by sharing a story with you guys this morning. When I was, um, when I was 18, I, I, I had a pattern through high school of uh, going to summer camps, getting excited about Jesus, and seeing that excitement last about three months into the school year. And then I'd finished the, the end of the first semester and the rest of the second semester on, uh, on fumes. And then I'd participate in some sort of summer camp, get excited about Jesus, and do the same thing all over again. Anybody else seem to have that pattern in life? High highs, low lows, mountaintop experiences, and then difficulty walking that out? Well, that was me in high school. God was doing some significant things in my life, and... and um, I just had a really difficult time. I thought all through high school that what it meant to be a Christian is that I didn't do things. So Christianity for me was defined um, by not drinking, um, not having sex, and um, not listening to secular music. That was my definition of what a Christian was. And it wasn't until I, I was 18 that I started to understand that maybe there was something more to Christianity. Maybe there was something that God actually called me to do, not just called me not to do. So when I'm 18, I had gotten a job at the gas company, and I head to Canada with our youth group. And Tim Ainley had loaded uh, the troops up in a van, or in a bus, sorry, and we were headed up to uh, Canada. And we were going to spend the first week of our trip at a conference. The second week of our trip, we were going to spend in Vancouver on Hastings Street ministering. Before we left, I was really sick. Um, I, I, I typically get like swollen uh, glands. And I uh, had super swollen glands. So we left on the bus trip to head up to Canada. We get to Canada, and this conference is nuts. Um, the, the stuff that was going on there was stuff that I had, I had just never seen before. And maybe you've seen this stuff where... People are acting drunk, like, um, like they're so filled with the Spirit that they're acting drunk. People were getting prayer, and they were falling over. Um, and I was that guy at the back of the tent staring at this, going, I can't believe that I, that I endured a 35-hour bus ride to, to watch this. This is crazy. And I remember approaching June Ainley, who was leading the youth trip, and saying to her, uh, this, is, this is just bizarre. I feel really uncomfortable. I feel anxious. This is strange, you know? And um, I remember telling, telling June some things that day. I, I said to June, I said, look, if I'm ever going to fall over, no one's going to touch me. Because I'm pretty sure that guy's just pushing people over. <laughs> so I'm up for falling over, but let it be known, no one's going to pray for me. And I'm not going to act like that, you know? And um, to be honest with you, I was really, really scared. There was a lot of fear that, that, um, 
I felt paralyzed with fear. I actually remember at one point during this conference, they asked us to shout aloud. To shout unto the Lord. And, uh, you know, so they, you know, they did what we typically do here together and, you know, counted to three or something and we were going to shout unto God. And when we did, it was like this. <laughs> you know, it was just like, I, I just, I couldn't let go, you know. I don't know if any of you have experienced that where you've been in a church meeting where they've asked you to shout unto the Lord and it's like, yeah, woo. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, why, why can't I shout? What, what's holding me back? What am I so scared of, you know? I wasn't being asked to, to fall over. I wasn't being asked to shake. I wasn't being asked to get filled with the Holy Spirit. I was asking to shout unto the Lord, which is something that I read in Scripture. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Why can't I shout, you know? I felt paralyzed with fear. So I continued to get, uh, continued to get worse. Um, I had uh, white abscesses all in my mouth and in my throat, and I needed to drink in order to swallow because it hurt so bad. And I was just taking Advil all day long. I actually started to, at one point, enjoy the conference. I was really, um, I was really drawn to the guy who was speaking. And, uh, and if I could get past all the craziness, I, I, I felt like I was connecting with, with what he was teaching and preaching. So finally they took me um, to the doctor. I walked into this, um, you know, uh, Canadian walk-in clinic. He asked me to open my mouth um, and, and proceeded to tell me that I had mono and that I needed to tough it out, which is awesome advice from a Canadian hockey-playing doctor. <laughs> Just tough it out, you know. I was like, wow, all right. So we left, and my youth leader is telling me, we're going to fly you home. You're headed home. And I, um, I, re- I remember so clearly sitting in the car. We're driving back. They're making arrangements to fly me home. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go home. You know what I want? And, you know, these are all my thoughts. I want that guy to pray for me. He was telling stories last night about people getting healed. I've never seen that before. I don't know anybody who's been healed. But I want that guy to pray for me before I go home. And just the fact that I even wanted to be next to this guy and let this guy put his hands on me was a miracle in itself. Because I had so judged him. And so as we're driving and we're thinking these things, I'm pondering, I look out the window, and I see the speaker inside a sandwich shop. So I go, what? I was like, I think I'm supposed to get prayer from this guy. And they were like, that's fine, honey. When you get back to camp, we'll let him pray for you. So I said, no, I think I'm supposed to get prayer from this guy now. Because as I was thinking about having this guy pray for me, he, I saw him in a sandwich shop. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. So they turned around. They let me walk into the sandwich shop, which that was a miracle in itself. Because I was the kid who, when mom... When everyone at the restaurant, when mom would say, let's pray, I kept my eyes open, you know. It was really embarrassing to me to pray in public. And so the fact that I wanted to walk into a sandwich shop, tell somebody that I was sick and ask for prayer uh, was a big deal. And I started to break down before I even walked in because of it. 
And so when I walked in, uh, by the time I got to the guy's table, I couldn't speak because I was crying so hard. And I said to him, uh, I'm sick. They're about to send me home. Uh, would you pray for me? And we were in Subway. And so I stood up to, to uh, receive prayer. And um, I mean, and they didn't do me any favors because they were praying really loud. It wasn't one of these like, <laughs> Lord, we just pray for this uh, sickness. What is it that you're dealing with? You know, <laughs> these guys, of course, stand up and, you know, they uh, actually, I don't remember much of it. They, they did pray that I would be healed. But what happened after that? was that they started talking about the impact that the healing would have on my group of friends back home. And so they started what I didn't know then to be, uh, what I know now to be, they started prophesying over my life, saying that people will hear about what's happened, and they will, and this will, and this will start to unfold in your life when you get back home. Well, I was healed. Um, but, but more importantly... I felt such a sense of God's presence and such a peace that they were in some ways holding me up. I would have fallen over if it weren't for the people around me. And, and I could hear different things like women in the subway saying, what are you doing to that boy? What is going on, you know? <laughs> and I could hear all this and I just seemed disconnected to all my insecurities and fears. And so I actually remember leaving... Um, I felt so full of God's presence and that I went outside and I laid down in the parking lot, just face down on the asphalt. And uh, I was like, did that really just happen? I mean, I've read these stories. I'm familiar with, you know, felt bored Jesus and all that he did, but is this real? And um, what was really interesting is I came home and all those things that they started talking about started unfolding in my life. I didn't have very many Christian friends, and so I ended up at a party, except for I was then the designated driver. <laughs> That's what my Christianity was. Um, so we're at Shaver, and I'm praying for an opportunity to share with my friends about what God had, you know, because I, I was a little bit, I got home and I got a little bit scared to share what had happened. So, uh, so I'm praying for an opportunity to share with my friends what's gone on, and of course, the conversation at the party turns to God at about 2 a.m., which it typically does when everybody's drunk enough. And so I'm like, this is my opportunity, you know, and I was hopped up on coffee because I was driving people around. And so I charged downstairs, and I just started giving it a go and preaching at this uh, party. And um, the, the group of friends around me were like, you know what, man, let's start a Bible study. Let's start a Bible study. And so we started a Bible study out of um, that party. And that Bible study grew to sometimes uh, 80 guys in a backyard in a tent. And the, the, the things that I saw then uh, still... Um, I just feel kind of ruined by the things that I saw. Because now I've learned how to lead worship. And I've learned how to put together a sermon. Um, and, and in those early days, I mean, I was desperate. Like, <laughs> I would wait on Christian radio for the, for the time when they would, where there was talk radio from like 10 to 10.30, and I would just regurgitate word for word what I heard on Christian radio because I didn't know enough to, to share. 
And it was really sovereign what, I, what we saw God do. Fantastic time. The reason I want to share that story is because I want to waste 15 minutes of a short... <laughs> That's the way I feel right now. Anyways, the reason I want to share that story is because I want to say to you guys, I'm a really reluctant charismatic. It still freaks me out. I was at dinner uh, with a couple, and, um, and, and if you've been here for any period of time, you know that there are times when someone will um, shout aloud a word that they believe that they're hearing from God. And the person was telling me, when that happens, man, everything in my body feels like it seizes up. And I'm having to tell myself, I agree with what this guy is saying. I agree with the words that he's speaking. And I'm having to choose to open myself up to what's happening in our corporate worship time. And I just felt like as he was communicating to me, like he thought he was alone. And I was like, man, you seize up. I'm in charge of this whole deal. I seize up too, you know. I mean, I don't know what to do with some of this stuff sometimes. And so if you're wrestling with fear, because I realize that Radiant Church is for many people a bridge into the more charismatic experience. I know that some of you grew up in homes where this wasn't a part of the corporate worship expression. And so we're, we're serving as a group of people um, that are helping you understand uh, kind of the charismatic or spirit-filled, if we can call it that, experience. And so all that to say, there's a lot of fear that surrounds this topic. There's a fear of fanaticism. There's a fear of emotionalism. There's a fear of rejection, right? When we tell our friends that we go to a charismatic church. Right? It's like this dirty secret. I was at lunch with this guy who asked me how we planted Radiant Church. And I I have two different... I have two different ways of telling that story based on who I'm talking to. Because when some people ask, if I say to them, well, we planted Radiant Church because of a series of dreams and visions, you know, they're going to write me off as some sort of Yahoo, you know? So I'm like, well, the Lord began to impress upon our hearts, (laughs) Tiffany and I together, you know, so that I get to lunch with this guy a couple weeks ago and he asked me, how did you guys plant Radiant Church? And I started in, you know, because I was a little bit nervous to tell him that really the thing the thing that caused us to plant this church is that I uh, five years after the tent had been this is this is another story. I can't go there. Anyways, I I start to tell him I'm talking to him. I'm like, well, we my wife and I felt consistent promptings. We felt led of the Lord. You know, we weren't, we weren't dare going to say we had a dream or we received a prophetic word. You know, that, that stuff is uh, scary, you know? So I'm talking to him and he's kind of looking at me like, are you telling me the whole truth, you know? And then he leans forward and he goes, I'm a charismatic too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Okay, well, I got a prophetic word, you know. <laughs> but, but it was like, I mean, it, it was like we were sitting and he leaned forward like to tell me that he listens to Justin Bieber or something, you know. It was like, <laughs> I saw Never Say Never in 3D. 
I loved it. And to be honest with you, I'll just, I'm just really honest with you. Um, I feel kind of embarrassed by our charismatic camp most of the time. I feel a little, I, I feel the same way that I felt when my mom would pick me up from junior high in a station wagon. A little bit like, hey, could you pick me up down the street a little bit? I'm just going to walk this way. I, I do. I, I'm just being honest with you. I do. I feel a little bit embarrassed at times. Okay. I have a, I have a fear of losing control, uh, just like you do. Um, and I'm praying that the Bible this morning can um, give us some understanding that will dispel our fears. I'm hoping that the scriptures um, can give us some understanding that will dispel the fears that we have around the gifts of the Spirit. Am I alone? Or is, is this, does the, this idea of the gifts of the Spirit make you kind of anxious? Is there some fear around this for you? Thanks for being so brave. Paul starts uh, 1 Corinthians 12 by saying this, Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. Now about the gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Alistair McGrath said, The Holy Spirit has long been called, has long been the Cinderella of the Trinity. The other two sisters may have gone to the theological ball, but the Holy Spirit got left behind every time. What's interesting about this passage is that Paul tells us three times not to be ignorant. He tells us not to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He tells us not to be ignorant concerning the enemy's schemes. And he tells us not to be ignorant concerning Israel's history or the Old Testament. And I can't think of three subjects that we're failing worse than those three. I can't think of three subjects where, um, I mean, seriously... The spiritual gifts, ignorance prevails. The enemy schemes. I mean, we've got one side of the church that doesn't even believe he exists. And we've got the other side of the church saying things like, the devil made me do it. We're totally unaware of the enemy's schemes and totally ignorant in this subject. And then the Old Testament. The pages of your Old Testament are still stuck together. We're ignorant concerning these things that Paul tells us. Don't be unaware of what I have to say, of what the Scripture has to say about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is awesome because what Paul tells us here is that you know you've got the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. You know you've got the Holy Spirit if Jesus is Lord. The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus, not to get you to speak in tongues. I believe in tongues. I speak in tongues. 
But the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus as Lord. And anyone who, it, who has Jesus Christ in their life as Lord has the Holy Spirit. Because you can't say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, says Paul, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. By the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Sorry, whoa, doubling up. To another, gifts of reading. To another, miraculous, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are at work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So I don't want you to be uh, ignorant today. So I'm going to explain a little bit of the argument. Um, There are basically three different camps today concerning the miraculous gifts or revelatory gifts talked about here in Corinthians 12. There's the cessationist camp that believes that supernatural gifts, tongues, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, they functioned only in the early church and are not to be practiced today. There's the charismatic stance that believes that supernatural gifts are given to every generation and should be practiced today according to the limits of Scripture. And then there's a third camp. Now I realize we have to brush with a broad... um, We have to paint with a broad brush this morning. I realize that there are many different um, groups within the charismatic tradition. I believe, and I know that there are many different groups within the cessationist camp. So there there are, um, you know what I'm getting at. There's also a third group that I think probably represent most, most people is that I don't know. I don't play for either of these teams. I'm open, but I'm cautious. I'm not convinced either way. I've got no reason to believe that they exist, and I've got no reason to believe they've ceased. I think this is a majority of Christians, maybe not here in this room, but probably represented in, in, in Christianity today. The official stance of Radiant Church is a charismatic stance. We reject the idea that the gifts have ceased. Now, we also reject a lot of things that go on within the charismatic camp, which we'll talk more about uh, next Sunday. I want to say this before we talk about this debate. Almost all charismatics are cessationists. Because as charismatics, we don't believe that there are apostles today like Peter and Paul were apostles. So we do embrace the idea that that was unique and for a time. So understand, as a charismatic, you are a cessationist. You get this. You get 
that that was important for the founding of the church and that we don't have apostles on the same level as the 12 apostles. There aren't people today who can write scripture. That was unique and for a time. And I also want to say that most cessationists are charismatics. The, the debate that surrounds you know, cessationism is not whether or not the gifts have ceased, but which gifts have ceased. Most uh, cessationists believe in some of the gifts. They believe in some of the charismata, the grace gifts. But they reject that the miraculous gifts or revelatory gifts are for the church today. In this debate, don't we, don't we entertain such neat, nice stereotypes of each other? Don't we keep such neat, nice stereotypes of the other camp? Right? Non-charismatics or cessationists are like this. And what do we say? Stoic. They're traditionalists. They don't really believe the whole Bible. They aren't really hungry for the Lord. They aren't really on fire for God. These are the things, no joke, that we say about each other. They're afraid, critical, too proud to give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. They're defensive in their stance. They're dull in worship. They care about propositional truth. And their lives are void of the Spirit's power. You might not say these things, but we think these things about each other. They're argumentative. And charismatics. What do we view charismatics as? Unbiblical for starters. They, they love experience and they've, they've elevated experience at the expense of truth. They're elitists. How many of you have felt like um, you've been treated like your JV because you haven't had some charismatic experience? Oh, you wouldn't know. We're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, you've encountered that. This is real. This really happens. Charismatics promise shortcuts to holiness and power. Put this anointing oil on your head. And you'll be holy. Charismatics are better at splitting churches than they are at evangelism. They're more accomplished in spiritual one-upmanship than they are in humble, faithful Christian service. Only they have the full gospel. And then the other problem with charismatics, or the other thing that we think about charismatics, is that they're just in your face. They're just so loud and proud, you know? You should just settle down, you know? It never fails that you come, come, you know, you come forward here for prayer, and you're like, if I could just uh, get some prayer, I've been struggling with uh, pornography. I've been struggling with pornography. And then the charismatic person who's on the prayer team is like, let's get after this. 
shumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalumalum
we're going to have to, uh, the sermon that was going to be one week is going to be two. I just decided that. The Spirit spoke to me. And by spirit, I mean my long-winded pastor app. I want to talk about the reasons that cessationists believe that the gifts have ceased. And I also want to talk about the reasons that we believe that they've not ceased. We won't talk about those things today. Um, but what, what, I, what I do want to touch on here this morning is things that you need to know about how the gifts will operate at Radiant Church. Because we've started this sermon series of talking about how we're going to follow Jesus together as a church in order to member together. We're going to invite people to be members of Radiant Church. So I want you to understand how we're going to walk out the gifts here at Radiant Church. The first thing that you need to know about the gifts is that personal revelation from God will be measured by Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with our final authority or supreme court, if you will, it's going to be tossed out. We'll dispose of it, actually. The Scriptures are for us our high court. That doesn't mean that there aren't other ways that God reveals Himself to us, but when He reveals Himself to us, we check it with the high court of Scripture. Scripture will be for us our supreme court, our final authority. The other thing that you need to know about the gifts and how they're going to operate here at Radiant Church is that they're gifts. Gifts of the Spirit are gifts. They aren't merit badges. Tongues does not prove that you're spiritual. There aren't some gifts that are more spiritual than others. You don't get certain gifts by conquering certain levels of spirituality, like their levels in Contra, and you get a new gun. <laughs> gifts are not gifts. Gifts are gifts. You don't have control over what God gives you. These aren't merit badges. You don't earn the gift of prophecy by being hyper spiritual. When the gifts of the Spirit start to get treated like they're merit badges, like they're something that you've earned, everything goes south. It's really important for us to remember that gifts are gifts here at this church. The MVPs, and this, is, this is part of my frustration, is that there is within the charismatic community a sort of Gnosticism. Gnosticism in the first century church was this. It was this idea of special knowledge. Oh yeah, you oh yeah, you've re- received Jesus, but do you know about this? Do you know about this special experience? Gnosticism sought to add things to the work of the cross. It was Jesus plus Jewish traditions. It was Jesus plus Greek philosophy. It was Jesus plus the empire. The MVPs of the last season here at Radiant Church have been those with the gifts of administration and the gifts of mercy. The MVPs 
of the last season here are people with behind-the-scenes gifts. These things aren't merit badges. There aren't some things more spiritual than others. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you spiritual any more than having a baseball mitt makes you a Yankee. I know some people who... Listen, don't confuse spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is this. The fruit of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, (laughs) self-control. And when we make up that spiritual gifts are spiritual fruit, things go south. When we decide that a spiritual gift is, this, is spiritual fruit in your life, things go south. The other thing that you need to know about signs and wonders is that they are just that. They're a sign and they're a wonder. And a sign points to something beyond itself. And if the signs and wonders here in this church start pointing to people, if those signs start pointing to a person beyond themselves, they'll be called into question. They are signs and they are wonders and they are meant to point to Jesus. They are signs that point to the work of Christ. They are wonders that are designed to make you wonder about Jesus. If the signs and the wonders are making you look to somebody and wonder about them, they're not doing their job and we're going to reevaluate the way they work inside this church. They point to Jesus. That's what signs do. They don't save you. They point you to the, to the work of the one who can. The other thing that you need to know in closing is that the gifts will serve the mission of the church. They're supposed to edify, they're supposed to build up, they're supposed to serve the mission of the church. This happened, uh, just, just a practical example, this happened with Tim uh, Ainley, who I believe has a prophetic gift on his life, and he shares that gift with us. Well, the first three weeks that he did it, he started shouting from the back, like, um, like in a locker room, you know, he was, a, he was a football coach, you know, and it was like a, a locker room halftime speech from the back, you know? And all I knew sitting up here is that someone was screaming, I couldn't hear what he was saying. I didn't understand what was going on. And maybe some of you felt the same way. So here's the fantastic thing about Tim Ainley. Here's the amazing thing about Tim Ainley. He wants to serve the church with his gift. And so he came to me on Tuesday. Hey, was that all right? I want to serve the church. I want to build up the church. And if that means keeping my mouth shut, I'll keep my mouth shut. If that means me speaking up, I'll speak up. But my goal, Tim Ainley's goal, is not to walk in his calling. His goal is to serve and build up and edify the church. So he comes to me because his identity isn't wrapped up in his gift. And he says, hey, anything I could have done better? I'm like, yeah, actually, I couldn't hear what you said. So next time, let's have you come up front and grab a mic. And then I think people might be a little bit better with it, you know? Cool. So the next times that Tim shared, he's come up front, we've given him a mic, and he's shared the word. And it's been really cool for me to hear from people uh, things like, man, when Tim shared, that was exactly what God was speaking to me. It's exactly what I was hearing from God, and, and as Tim shared it, it seemed to confirm. So the gifts will serve the church. 
they'll build up and edify the church. And when they fail to build up and edify the church, we're going to investigate them a little bit and go, hey man, this isn't, you know, your identity isn't wrapped up in this. Not a big deal. There's flesh involved in every one of our giftings. If you think that Mike is leading worship and, and not wrestling with his flesh, you're wrong. If you think that I speak the words of God without my flesh getting involved, you're really wrong. And I don't, I don't actually know that anyone thinks that. <laughs> so I'll leave that alone. Many of us um, have been, I, I've never been more, I, I read quite a bit this week, I've never been more proud to be a charismatic in my life. And I'll tell you why in the weeks to come. The truth is, is that if you believe that the gifts have ceased, you're reading something other than scripture. Because the Bible does not say that the gifts have ceased. And we'll unpack the passages that are wrestled through. But I think many of us have been open to spiritual gifts, but disobedient to Paul's repeated command, which is earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you can prophesy. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. If Tim wants to get up front and share what God's putting on his heart, that's fine. Paul commands us three times, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And he's speaking to his church that he should have said, sit down, shut up, don't ever do that again. They were out of sorts. They were out of control. And he's, he's fanning the flame. Makes zero sense. He should have shut it down. I would have shut it down. And Paul takes this risk. It's a risk to seek spiritual gifts for the church. It really is. It's risky to do this. It's risky to believe that the gifts, the miraculous gifts, are for the church today. But I've come to believe this week that the real risk lies in saying that they're not for today. The real risk lies in stopping them. It'd be a greater risk to not seek spiritual gifts for myself and for my church. It would be a risk not to pray with the early church when they prayed this prayer. And now, Lord, grant your servants that they could continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I know that I didn't get an opportunity to state our case for why the gifts have continued and why I don't believe that they've ceased. But I do want to close by saying uh, disobedience is always a greater risk than obedience. And so I want to pray and close. God, I wanted wanted to uh, stand before you and I wanted to stand before this church And I wanted to repent. Um, I'm I'm coming to realize that I think um, some of my responses and some of the way uh, 
some of the ways in which I've been motivated have been based off like Christian television and not your scripture. I want to pray for those who are here who um, have been made to feel by charismatics that they're somehow junior varsity because they don't have the Holy Spirit. We ask that you'd empower them uh, to forgive us. We're sorry, Lord, for speaking about your church the way we've spoken about her, for stereotyping people and for writing people off. And we pray uh, for, um, we invite your Holy Spirit to come here and reveal Jesus. We pray for the miraculous gifts uh, to be here in this church. We pray for uh, healings to happen here at Radiant Church. We pray for prophetic words to happen. We pray for uh, the gift of tongues that we could be edified and built up. And I want to uh, renounce fear and ask that your perfect love would come and and do away with it. Uh, We want to just not, we want to be eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, not just okay with the gifts. Put a hunger inside of us, God, and uh, wake us up to the reality of walking with your spirit. Pray that you'd fill us as we go, and uh, you'd deconstruct some of the things that we've made up about you that aren't true, and we would, uh, in a fresh way, allow you to work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. Divide.